This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Benner, and today I'm sharing episode 57 with Charlotte Simpson. Charlotte is a retired guidance counselor turned solo traveler from Indianapolis. You may recognize her from her fun Instagram page, The Traveling Black Widow. She started this page just to share solo travel photos with her family and friends, but has now grown to over 13,000 followers. You're going to want to give her a follow after this podcast episode because over on her Instagram, she shares the same amount of positivity and joy that she brought to this episode. In this episode, Charlotte shares the story of why she started solo traveling after losing her husband of 31 years. She goes on to tell us about her favorite travel experiences, where she recommends traveling to, what traveling has taught her about herself, her favorite things about her husband, and her volunteer work as a court-appointed special advocate. Thank you so much for listening to the Illuminate podcast today, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Charlotte Simpson. All right, today on the podcast, I am so excited to have Charlotte Simpson on to chat. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. Now, we got to start with you call yourself the Traveling Black Widow, which describes you pretty well. But do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about how you got that name? Well, I I travel a lot. And um, when I get back from my travels, I uh, always have hundreds and hundreds of pictures, even if I'm just gone, you know, for a few days. I really love photography and I take lots of pictures. So, you know, I always, you know, want my daughter to uh, come over and look at the pictures and which is requires several days of lengthy viewing to see all the pictures. And so when she was getting really um, into Instagram, and I didn't know really what it was. I was somewhat familiar with Facebook, but I didn't know Instagram at all. And uh, like most people my age, was like, oh, I don't want everybody knowing my life and my business and all that. And I didn't want to go on Instagram. So she came up with the name and she showed, she put, opened an account and showed me how to operate it. And I was so well received on Instagram that um, I just really got into it. And the name, you know, just sort of depicts my situation. I travel a lot. I'm black and I am a widow. My husband died a few years ago. And uh, that's when I really took off doing a lot of traveling on my own. Because, you know, naturally we had traveled together. But then it was this traveling black widow. Yeah, I love that. It's so funny how you ended up on Instagram with all of that. And you really did take off. You have, what, 13,000 followers now? Yeah, yeah. Amazingly, (laughs) 
and I'm, I'm one of the oldest people on Instagram, and, uh, and it's, it's really, it's pretty surprising to me. Yeah. So why don't we go back, and can you tell us the story of how you, you and your husband met? We met working at the same place. He was a teacher and I was a teacher and um, I had just moved to to Cleveland and just gotten a job at the school where he worked and he was the basketball coach and uh, it was a huge school. And so one day just I was in the main office and I see this really handsome guy. And so I uh, asked the secretary, I said, is that guy single? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's Mr. Simpson. I was like, wow, okay. So (laughs) my department chairman there at the high school was always trying to set me up with guys because I had just moved to to Cleveland. And so I told him, I said, oh, I saw this guy in the office today and he's really handsome and, you know, on and on and on. He says, I think that's Mr. Simpson you're describing. And uh, so that coming, every Friday night, the teachers all went to this happy hour at this one hotel not too far from the school. And so he says, you should come to the happy hour. Instead of driving back to Detroit this weekend, you should stay here in town and just go to the happy hour, drive to Detroit after the happy hour. So I was like, well, okay. And so I went to the happy hour and sure enough, you know, Mr. Simpson was there and strolling around and all. And uh, so my department chairman called him over and says, oh, I've got you someone for you to meet. This new teacher, new in my department. She just moved to Cleveland. She doesn't know anyone. And so he introduced us and we chatted then and went on to the school's football game that night. We, you know, sat together at the game. And just it sort of grew from that night. Oh, what a what a fun story! And you two have one kid together, or do you have more? Than we your just daughter? have one. Okay, yeah, just awesome. just our daughter. And what does your daughter do for work, or is she at home with a family, or what is she up to these days? No, she is. Uh, she's a dentist. She um, has a uh, not has a practice. She works in public health dentistry, which is what she always wanted to do. And she's at a clinic in Anderson and uh, and and also in Elwood. And she enjoys it. It's very very gratifying. And I'm just I'm really proud of her that uh, from when she went into dentistry until today, what almost what ten years later, she um, still loves serving in public health. So for work, you were a special education teacher? For a while. And then I was also a guidance counselor. Okay. And then right toward the end of my career, just the very final years, then I did go back to the classroom as a special ed teacher. But for the bulk of of it, I was a guidance counselor. And that is really sort of where my heart is. I think I'm a natural counselor. Um, So while your husband was alive, you two traveled a lot. But did you ever travel alone or most of it was done together? It was always together. I never took a trip alone when we were married. Um, He had a lot of of work travel. And so he would always invite me along. And I think I only one time wasn't able to go. And so a lot of times during the day, he would be at different meetings and all. And so I would go out by myself. And I, I think that's maybe when I started being a little confident, but, you know, not really. <laughs> but, um, you know, I can remember being in San Francisco one time and he was going to be gone. So I did um, this walking tour of Chinatown and then I got on a city bus and rode out to see Stanford's campus. And um, and so I just had the most fun kind of day. and was just by myself on the city bus after I had walked around exploring Chinatown. And I think maybe that was the first time I really just planned out a big day for myself. And so then anytime I'd go with him to a conference, 
I would just go out and explore. He had, he had a conference in Salt Lake City once, and we had rented a car. And so I took the car and drove over to Park City to see, um, well, to see Park City and to see um, the former Olympic site. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, so that was, I just always had the best times when I would uh, just get out instead of just sitting there at the hotel and watching TV or going to a shopping center. I got into this thing of uh, just getting out and exploring by myself. Uh-huh. Very cool. And so after he passed away, was it was travel kind of a way to help you find the little joys again and maybe bring back memories of you two traveling together? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because I love to travel all my life. I've almost always just had that spirit of wanderlust. And, uh, and so did he. And so, um, you know, at first, I would always, you know, invite someone along. And so I did travel with a, a girlfriend of mine and with my daughter a lot, of course, and uh, my sister-in-law and just whatever friend might be available or, or maybe if there was a group that was going someplace I wanted to go, you know, I would um, have asked someone if they knew anybody that wanted to share a room. And so, uh, you know, I'd go with another person. And so I always was with someone. I was always sharing a room. I really hadn't thought in terms of just totally going by myself. This was immediately after? Yeah, yeah. I uh, For the first few years. The, the, he died in the summer. And that mm. uh, Christmas, my daughter and I really both were dreading Christmas here in Indianapolis alone. We don't have any family here. And I don't know, we were just really both so down and, and you know, in the throes of grieving mm -hmm. that we just thought maybe if we went someplace, it wouldn't be so bad just being here for the holidays and all the all the fun and decorations and all of it with the holidays. So we went on a tour of Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we got to um, the first city in Morocco on Christmas Eve. And the hotel had this tiny, tiny little dinky Christmas tree mm -hmm. at the end of the counter in the lobby. And other than that, the entire time that we were in Morocco, we never saw anything else pertaining to Christmas. And so... That was just so cool. <laughs> you know, it was just so great because even in Spain, in Portugal, you know, we had seen, you know, the street decorations and all that and people walking hand in hand with their big wool scarves and just all the stuff that was so Christmassy. But that week in Morocco was so wonderful to just never have to think about Christmas and all that we were missing. And um, it was a tour with a, a tour company. And oddly, meeting all the other people on the tour, they all had some real reason for touring specifically at Christmas time and um, which was very eye-opening too for me that you know I guess you just don't think about people traveling out of the country at Christmas time you know you think about people being with their family and uh, I know this one couple they said that they just preferred to travel at Christmas because their grandchildren and, and daughters-in-law were so difficult to get along with oh. <laughs> that they just always left the country at Christmas and um, and then other people just had you know feelings like that that it's like it's just not all Norman Rockwell for everyone yeah and, that is that is so, so true. It seems like we kind of have this cultural idea that you have to push yourself to go to the family gatherings and pretend you love it, but not everyone does, and it's not always worth it to stick around. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what they had all said. I mean, there was probably 25 people in the group, and, uh, and it was just amazing. As a matter of fact, there was a, a priest in our group, 
and he was traveling alone and he had somehow managed to get that week off from work and we were just really mind boggled that this priest was going to be in Morocco with the rest of us on Christmas Day. Yeah. And, but people just had different reasons, but it just seemed like it really worked well. Everybody just really enjoyed being in another place and and not having all that family, the obligations and the guilt and all that, you know, that goes along with the holidays and family. Right. Interesting. Is that so that was that was one of your first travels and it sounds like it got you off to a really good start. But then when did it turn to traveling alone and not having people to stay with in the rooms? Well, it it changed when I wanted to go to Italy and I really 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 wanted to go to Italy and um my one very closest friend just didn't necessarily want to go to Italy at that point in her life. And she was doing something else, I think, decorating-wise with her house. And then um, another friend just had been and, you know, naturally didn't want to go back. Uh, my sister-in-law that I had traveled with some places, uh, she didn't really have Italy on her list and um, just, you know, just didn't really care to go. And I thought, I've got to see Italy. I've just got to. And, um, and, and, oh, well, let me back up. When I would meet people on the other trips that I would go on, inevitably there would be someone or a couple or so people I would meet who were traveling alone. And so I would just always ask them, like, what's it like? Aren't you afraid? Or don't you get lonely? And, and they always seemed to be having a nice time. Nobody ever seemed to be dreading it and unhappy that they had chosen to travel alone. And so with the Italy thing, I just started thinking about, well, I've never met anybody that didn't enjoy their trip. And even sometimes, you know, if they were in our group and maybe we would say, oh, you want to come over and sit with us at dinner or whatever? Sometimes they would. Other times they're like, oh, that's okay. I'm I'm writing postcards here or, or something. You know, they it wasn't like they were just really lonely for people. So, um, that just opened my mind to it, just seeing other people having such a nice time. And so I just decided I'm just going to do Italy by myself. I can do it. And I went with a travel company, so I knew there would be people on the trip. So that was my first trip. One summer I went to Italy. It was 15 days, a 15-day trip all over the country. And there was an uh, airline issue in Atlanta and ended up spending a night in Atlanta and going out on a different flight. Well, my luggage got lost in the process and never got to Italy for 11 days. So 11 days of the 15 days of my first solo wow. trip, I had no luggage. Yeah. And I, since I was traveling solo, I thought I want my my suitcase. I mean, I want my carry-on stuff to be as light as possible. So I'm not going to carry a carry-on. I'll just carry my purse and I'll put everything in my suitcase. So that was everything. Makeup, uh, hair stuff, clothes, change of clothes. Everything was in the suitcase. And I just, you know, strutted on the plane when we did finally leave with just a purse. So I learned a lot right there. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. off the bat. Do you always put most everything in the carry-on now? I I've, I compiled this critical list 
after those 11 oh, days. Because yeah. <laughs> almost every day there would be something else I would think of that like, oh, if only I had, you know, whatever it was. So I uh, created this list and now it's it's all memorized. The first few trips I would actually look at the list to make sure I had everything. But now it's memorized. And yes, I definitely carry those things on with me. And I mean, I won't even let them go. You know how some, sometimes they'll say, well, we're going to have to check some bags and then you can pick them up you know, when you get off the plane. I don't let those critical things out of my sight. They go back to the seat with me in the overhead. And what drew you exactly to Italy? Like what was the specific draw to need to go there? Well, I think Italy, like France, I think it's, we've seen it so much in movies until it's really become so romanticized to us. And it, and it absolutely is fabulous and deserves all the publicity that it gets. Um, but I just have learned in my travels that there are lots of other really magnificent places too, but I would still go back. It, it, it is romantic, but it's just so beautiful throughout the whole country. And, um, I think just that terrain, if nothing else, the terrain is so magnificent and, the, and then the architecture in some of the cities, but just the land, just the beauty of it all. And I, and I'm, I'm glad I went because it, it's, it's just amazingly beautiful. Is there a location within the United States or maybe abroad that reminds you a lot of your husband that makes you want to go back just to be in the memory of that? Well, I guess in a way, I would say that I almost don't like to go to places that remind me a whole, whole lot of him because inevitably that was some place, you know, we really had a great time together Mm -hmm. and doing things together. And, um, and since I can't do most of those things now, like we went to a lot of national parks. He, he loved nature. He wasn't real fond of overseas travel. He really preferred to be traveling right here in the United States. We visited all 50 states and, uh, and he enjoyed them all, as did I. And I think like now... I really wouldn't want to go to a national park, at least not one of the ones I've gone to. It just seems like it would be just sort of painful mm-hmm. to Makes maybe sense. go, you know, to go back to Yellowstone or to go to Grand Canyon or uh, my favorites were the parks in Utah. I just, I loved those. And um, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure that I'd want to go back to those by myself, even though they're magnificent to see and I could enjoy the sights, but just all the memories would be rough. Right. Yeah, it would definitely be hard. And I think it can go both ways. Sometimes some people want to go back to those memories. But sometimes for some people, it it brings up too much heartache. Yeah, I think I don't know, you know, right now, so many people are going to national parks. And on on Instagram, I'm always seeing someone's pictures. And, and when I see them here lately, I've just thought, I just don't think I want to go back to one that I've been to. Maybe if if there was a new one that, you know, and a trip worked out. But um, definitely not to Grand Canyon or Yellowstone or Arches or some some of the ones that we really enjoyed so much together. Is that pretty consistent in your regular travels, not just the ones related to your husband, that you don't like going back to a place twice? Or are you someone that you loved it, so you're going to go back? Well, um. I've been back to Costa Rica three times, and the first time he was, we did, the three of us went. Um, As a matter of fact, um, about our fifth night there, he, uh, fifth morning there, 
he got really, really sick and passed out and had to be taken to a hospital there in San Jose. And we weren't able to uh, continue on our trip even. We were supposed to be leaving that morning and we had to go to a hospital and um, stayed there until he was released. And he ended up at the airport in a, in a wheelchair and everything. And that was really the beginning or the discovery of his illness. They didn't discover exactly what it was in San Jose, but we got back and had a lot of work done. That was sort of the beginning of the end for us. So Costa Rica, you know, certainly has some major memories, at least San Jose. And um, one year for Christmas, my daughter and I did a Caribbean cruise. And one of our stops was in a, um, a uh, coastal city of, of Costa Rica. And so we didn't see things, you know, there in San Jose again, or we didn't go back to the other small towns we'd been to. But just something about being in Costa Rica, it was like, boy, we had so many traumatic memories from there. Right. Um, but we had a nice time there, but it just was weird being in Costa Rica and just knowing this was the beginning mm -hmm. of all that, that happened. And um, so I, I know I wouldn't want to go back to San Jose because there are just way too many painful memories in San Jose. I'm so sorry to hear about the story of losing your husband. It sounds like you guys had a really good marriage and relationship and able to travel together and do a lot together. So that must have been a really, really hard loss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I um, I doubt very seriously I would ever be getting married again because I feel like I've married my soulmate. And I don't think it could get any better than that. He was an amazing husband. I was very, very, very fortunate. And I really don't think I could ever meet anyone who would treat me the way that he did. And I just, you know, that's why I guess I really revel in my solitude and enjoy it and, yeah. and just be the best me that I could be single because I really don't think there's anyone else out there anyway. Uh -huh. um, my best friend and, uh, and a couple other close friends <laughs> have never married. And like my best friend from college, she's never married. And so I just, I truly feel that if there's a really great guy out there and he's looking for a woman, I would really like for him to meet her and give her an opportunity to have a great marriage and, uh, you know, and see how wonderful it is. I don't need a second guy. I mean, let's let her have somebody. So that's, I mean, that honestly is how I feel. I don't think I will. I don't do things to meet guys. I don't, you know, whatever that would be. I don't do it. I just do, you know, live my own life. Um, I don't want anybody setting me up. I don't go on websites. Nothing. I feel like I've had a, an amazing marriage, 31 years. It doesn't get any better than that. What were a few of your favorite things about him? He was a very, very selfless person, very giving Um he was just so giving. Uh, matter of fact, he was a principal of a high school for a large part of his career. And uh, sometimes now I will run into young adults who will recognize me. And they'll say, aren't you Mr. Simpson's wife? And I'll be like, yeah. And they will get teary-eyed, inevitably. And they will say, oh my gosh, he saved my life. I was just going down such a horrible path. Or Oh, my God, I loved him so much. He gave me so much encouragement. I don't know what I would be without him. And um, even last week, I did a post, and it was a picture of me and him. 
And this girl on the post, you know, she even said, I can't believe, you know, that, that you're his wife. He was just so wonderful. And you just wouldn't believe how he changed me. And I was just headed nowhere. I mean, just all these things that young people will tell me. And I can't believe that they recognize me. Um, but I guess because he had a lot of pictures in his office and stuff. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, no, he's just was so highly thought of. So I knew that it wasn't just at home. Just wherever I run into people, they're like, oh, my gosh, your husband was just remarkable. Just very, very giving, very encouraging to people. And, um, and <laughs> just here at home, just very helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I um, when I first started dating him, the first time I ever went to his apartment, he had a picture on his mantle of his mom. And then he had another picture of his six sisters. And I thought, Wow. Well, this is a real special kind of guy to have a picture of his mom on his mantle and a picture of his sisters. And so um, he's just that kind of guy that really cared about his family. And I knew if he cared that much about his mom and sisters to have a picture on the mantle. It's like, wow, this guy's somebody to sort of pursue a little bit. <laughs> yeah, then you did get lucky and you probably have a lot of really good memories to still sit and think about. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So I want to talk about specifics about your travels. Um, First of all, what is one of your favorite places that you have visited? My very favorite place in the world is India. I, I love it. There's nowhere like it. It is so unique and unusual. Everything about it seems to be a little different than other places. The, uh, the culture has so many you know what idiosyncrasies or just characteristics that are uniquely Indian the religion respect the regard and worship of the cow and you know cows walking down the street the uh, the foods are delicious unique amazing uh, the land the drives through the countryside and or we took a train one of the times I went and um, just seeing the land it's just the most unusual <laughs> and and amazing place it's just it's amazing I just love it I've gone three times and I had hoped to go back in winter of 21 but now I'm thinking maybe 23 <laughs> right oh my gosh when you're going when you're traveling abroad are you staying at hotels are you staying more in like Airbnb settings to get with the locals and what does that look like I usually stay at hotels um, I've never stayed in Airbnb, actually. Um, really? Nope, I never have. But I stay at hotels. Uh, most of the time, I am going uh, with a, a travel company. And so there will be, you know, a group of people. And I feel very safe going that way because there is that tour manager that's coordinating everything. I call it mindless travel. Because I don't have to figure out anything just before I go and I look at itineraries and and just see if it's going all the places I want to go and to all the sites when I get to those cities and and send in my deposit and the rest I don't have to give a thought to anything it's it's I think just the ideal way for a woman to travel alone what is the travel company I use a variety and then are you able to still branch off on your own or are you pretty stuck with the group uh, they usually have a, a, a pretty uh, a real specific itinerary that's pretty comprehensive. 
uh, but there's always free time and so I've always researched before I go and know what I want to do during that free time and the evenings are always free usually you're back to the hotel by I don't know three or four in the afternoon oh okay yeah and so I always know what I want to do then if I'm not too exhausted and um, get to those places but the nice thing with, with the various companies is that they definitely hit all the high points. And then um, since you are with that group, and if it's a company that does a lot of business with that particular country, then when you get, let's say, to the, I'll think like the um, Prado Museum in Madrid. And when we got there, we were with a group, and we got there, the line was around the whole museum which was a huge it was the longest line I think I'd ever seen <laughs> and and I thought well I don't even know if I'm going to go in here and the tour guide said um well there's our line we're going to go over there because we've got our pre-time tickets and we you know we come here a lot and so oh so you get we to skip went, stuff we totally skipped the line oh sweet I couldn't believe it it was so wonderful because I just, I, I couldn't get over the line. It was just horrible. And in a lot of places, in um, that first trip I did in Italy, um, which I did with a company, thankfully, we went to the, um, the Sistine Chapel and the, um, was the Vatican Museum. That's the name of the Vatican Museum. And that was another one where the line was down the street. And when we got there, you know, our tour guide's like, okay, follow me. We're going to go right over here. And we went through this other door and shot right into the museum. Oh wow! So, Big so perks, that's that's then. a real yeah that's a real plus with going with the companies, and you know especially traveling alone that all that's all sorted out, and you are just sort of following along with the guide, and and there's a lot of other safety issues and, and concerns too with traveling with a company that have sort of had me um, just really buy into that method of travel right mm -hmm. now especially at this age. And all, I just really don't want all those hassles just by myself. Where is somewhere that you dream of going? I dream of going to Israel and was supposed to be going to Israel on March 19th. Oh, uh, no, all the travel yes. canceled this year. Yes, I, I couldn't believe it. I had for years, oh, probably since I was a kid, wanted to go to the Holy Land and um, I had wanted to go with a group of like-minded Christian people, ideally. So I didn't want to go with a company or anything. But um, I don't know. Finally, this year, I thought, I just, it doesn't look like I'm ever going to meet anybody that wants to go when I want to go or, or wants to go, period. And so I decided, let me just go with a travel company. And so made my deposit and everything. Actually, I paid for the whole trip and um, about... 10 days before the trip, on the news one night, they showed Israel and they said, you know, lots of sites in um, Tel Aviv are closing and the Church of um, the Church of the Nativity is closed to tourists and they're rattling off all these places. And I thought, oh, no, this is this is going to be a horrible trip. All the things you want to see are closing. And the next day, the company called me and said, we're canceling the trip to Israel because as we speak, flights are turning around in the air, coming back to the United States because Israel has just announced that all incoming passengers from flights will be quarantined for 14 days. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> so the flight was just, it was canceled like about eight, nine days before the trip. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but I was so relieved because 
I was, th you know, just thinking, gosh, I'm going to be there and there's not going to be anything to see. And I waited a lifetime to go to Israel and all the popular sites are closing. So I just really didn't know what to do. And because uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll call them and see if I can get any of my money back at that late date. You know, you aren't going to get a full refund. Mm -hmm. And so when she called me the next day, I was like, oh, thank goodness. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You don't want to go all that way and then not be able to see everything that you have dreamed of. Right, right. So that's still someplace I really want to go. But I do feel now that I will just wait for the like-minded group. because I sort of see that as a sign that I was supposed to have waited and uh, gone with a group of, of other people. But I would I would like to go to the um, to the Pacific, South Pacific Islands, you know, to Fiji and uh -huh. Tahiti and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much fun it will be because, you know, you think of that as being so romantic, you know, mm -hmm. in the honeymoon destination or something. So uh, I haven't gone because I got to sort of wrap my head around possibly be the, being the only woman strolling around without a man <laughs> on her arm. <laughs> well, bring your daughter and then you two can have fun. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but um, yeah, I want, well, there's some places in Africa I still want to go to. I'd love to go to Namibia and had planned to go this fall. Oh, no. So, yeah. Just, matter of fact, on September 25th, I'm supposed to be flying to Berlin and then on to Prague. Oh, so your, your travel is still, it hasn't been canceled yet? They haven't said anything to okay. me, but I know it's canceled because we can't even go to any of those countries. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So, um, And are you getting your money paid back fully or are you still losing out on some? Um, well, this one only has a deposit because the balance would have been due 60 days ahead, which would have been mm. end of July. Mm -hmm. So they never naturally, you know, didn't contact us about that. So uh, hopefully I'll get the deposit back. Well, why are they holding off so long to tell you if it's canceled or not? <laughs> I guess they just figure that I, if I watch the news, I sort of get the idea of just right. what's, <laughs> what's probably going to happen. That's funny. And see some news and find out that Hungary and Czech, Czech Republic are open. And <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> even if they changed the itinerary and we just went to a couple of the countries, that would be great. Right. I know. It just, traveling seems so weird right now, too. It seems like a foreign idea. Yeah, it really does. I, And I guess I've somewhat gotten over it, which surprises even me because I already, you know, I had I have a trip planned in February and I don't even think about it anymore. I just think if I think about February at all, it's like, huh, February. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I just don't think about travel and I think I don't want to spend a lot of my thoughts on it since there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, it's not in your power anymore. Right. Beyond just taking care of yourself, I guess. But still, you can't, you don't have the power to end the pandemic. Right. So there, there's, why waste my thoughts on being sad about not being able to travel? I'm, I use that energy to try to think of things I can do. Mm -hmm. What are some of those things that you pour in your energy into? Oh, well, my volunteerism, I am a, a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate, uh, child advocate for cool. uh, kids in the um, DCS and foster care system. Yeah. And so um, 
I have I had two cases one of my cases just closed last week and so I'm excited about getting a new case and so meeting you know meeting the kids meeting the family if there's in a foster home I'm definitely looking forward to that I am thinking about doing some volunteering for my political party okay I keep getting calls right I know yeah, I keep getting texts. I'm like, where'd you get my phone number for texting? I'm thinking the same thing. I get calls every day from someone campaigning, and I'm, I have no idea how my number got out there, for my, especially for your specific party. I don't know. Do you put your number when you re- register for vote, to vote? I don't even well, remember. This is what I've wondered, and um, because the one lady, I wrote her back, and I said, this is really... I mean, I'm all for you guys, but this is sort of intrusive for you to right. text me. And I said, where did you get my number? And she just says, you know, well, we just have them. And, and she says, just put stop if you don't want any more texts. I was like, okay, thank you for the heads up because I don't really like getting texts about we need your help. And But anyhow, they're going to get my help. So I'm going to, you know, do some love throw it. my heart into that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the you, the work you do with the foster care system? Because on the podcast, I haven't interviewed anyone, but the other hosts have done a couple interviews with um, foster parents or advocates for the foster care system. And it just is something that's so cool and, and needs more people like you volunteering and working with them. How did you get involved with that? And then what does your work look like? Well, I'm a child advocate, or a CASA, court-appointed special advocate, and so you are assigned a family, the children, and you are their advocate. You are the voice for them in court. So anytime there is a, a court hearing on some matter regarding that the family, uh, so you get to know the child, of course. You know, you're required to visit at least once a month, and right now it's Zoom or FaceTime, but uh, normally, you know, you go out to the home. If the child is, um, uh, some of my kids have been still in the home. Their dad was there and their mom had to move out because she was um, on drugs or something. And so they're there with the dad or with the stepdad. And so you are going out to talk with the kids, see how they're doing emotionally, socially, academically, and all. And you are um, determining their best interest as things are are occurring with the family and depending on how they're going with the mom and if she's going to be able to return back to the home um, or if it's both parents the case I have now um, the children were taken from both parents and um, are in foster care in a foster home and this is the third home for a couple of the kids fourth home for one of the kids they were all together and then uh, one of the kids was having difficulty with the foster family and was removed from with the siblings. So you're um, it, also getting to know those foster parents and sort of helping them with the kids, trying to have all the children's needs met. A lot of them are receiving counseling. I think, actually, I think of the five cases I've had, all of my children have received counseling. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, except one little guy who was, um, he was like 18 months when I became his CASA, and he just got adopted on my birthday this year. Oh, yay. April 6th. That was just the greatest birthday gift I have had. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. But he's like uh, five now, just turned five, and he got adopted. So, But he was never in counseling. But you're... 
you're trying to just find that best placement for the child, do what's best for them. And the goal is always reunification with their parents. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you know, trying to, the, the parents are going through getting all the help and the services that can be provided for them to help them to be the parents they need to be so that they can raise their own kids. But if that doesn't work out, then um, you are there advocating for that child and what you think the best place would be and and best services. One of my kiddos now is very, very uh, difficult to get along with, um, for adults to get along with, and just doesn't follow directions, is just not compliant. And so just the other day in talking with her, I just thought, we've just got to do more to help her just to help her learn how to behave and and to follow directions and just control herself and, and redirect herself because it's exhausting to foster parents. So um, anyhow, I immediately contacted the guardian ad litem and we're putting our heads together to look at increased counseling for her. She was just getting one day a week and up in that. And then also bringing in a th behavior therapist to work with her and work with, you know, the foster parents in dealing with her. And a lot of my special ed background really helps a lot in knowing what kinds of services are out there and just knowing when kids need more than even just once a week counseling session. Are you working with the kids just up until they're adopted or once they're adopted or they're reunified with their parents? Are you still checking up on them? So are you seeing these kids for a span of, you know, five, 10 years or is it more of just a couple months or however long it takes them in the foster care system? Well, it's however long it takes them in the foster care system. So when, um, when my little kiddo got adopted in April, um, that case had started, this is 20, that case had started in fall of 17 and yeah, fall of 17, I think it was. And, um, with, you know, various placements, various foster placements and all relative placements. And as the parents just couldn't fulfill the services that were offered to them and just couldn't get it quite together. Um, then once this plan becomes adoption, you know, first it's pre-adoption. Well, once it gets to that and then the parents still, you know, aren't doing what they need to do, then it moves to adoption. And once they're adopted, then the case is closed. So I, I don't see the child anymore and most likely never would again. Do you stay in contact with the parents at all beyond that? Are you like if you, you know, have a really good connection with the kid, are you ever going to see them again? I've not asked about that. With this particular child, I sort of don't think so because I noticed myself once he had really bonded with the uh, prospective adoptive parents, I don't know what they were doing, but I could just tell when I would go out because there was a time when I would go out. Let me back up. When when the case started, he was about 18 months old. Well, he was moved around to a lot of different homes. And when I would go out to the home, inevitably the foster mother would say, oh my gosh, he knows you. He, he doesn't ever know anybody. He knows you. He really likes you. Because, you know, he would come over to me. And then he's, when he got maybe like two, two and a half, when I would go over, he would say, mommy. And when I would go in the door, he would Aww. look up and be like, mommy. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I just, I couldn't believe. He yeah. thought, and he only saw me once a month, but somehow he would think of me as mommy. Cause I guess I was this consistent person 
that he was seeing along with his mom having you know her her visitation time with him too um well when he went to this final family and started really getting along they wanted to adopt him uh toward the end there i went over one time and just sort of the way he looked at me it was like he looked at me almost like oh my gosh you've been a part of all this chaos that has been my life <laughs> and I don't know. He just looked at me like, I don't even have the heart to call you mommy. And he oh. sort of turned around to his foster mom and said, mommy, da, 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 da. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's detaching from me. Yeah. And it was really, it was just the strangest look he gave me. It was like he realized he had been through a lot of stuff and I was always there. And now he was like, I'm sick of you being in my life. <laughs> I think there's some stability here. <laughs> and so now I just think I, by the time I see him again, because I would like to see him again, but I want all memories of me as this person who was a part of all these, t this team of people. Because you have this uh, person who comes out to drive the child to their visits with their parent. You have a caseworker that goes out to see the kid. Um, there's so many people involved that I just want his memory of me to be gone. I don't want him to think, oh, gosh, I remember when she used to come see me and then so-and-so came to see me and take me to see my mom. Then I had to leave my mom. But, you know, it was just so much. Well, what incredible work you're doing, too, that you're able to have this connection with these kids that they're they're thinking of you as a motherly figure for that time being. Well, I, I try, uh, the case I have now, I was the first CASA they had, and the case has been open two and a half years, and they have had so many placement changes. They've had caseworker changes. They've had guardian ad litem changes. There have been so many changes that I am the only person involved in this case who has been with the case since day one, and, um, and that's just really important to me. I feel like even if I decided to, to quit being a CASA, which I wouldn't, but if I did, I would have to wait until this case closed. I couldn't do do this to them with them meeting a new advocate. It's just they've had to meet too many new people. Mm, and, yeah. and, and, and there's just no continuity. When I, when I was talking with the, the guardian at Lightham the other day about wanting more help for um, one of the kids, and I was saying, you know, when the case first opened, there was a behavior therapist involved. I said, if we could get the behavior therapist, well, nobody else, you know, without reading through a ton of records, nobody else realizes there was a time that there was a behavior therapist who was doing great with the kids. And, you know, and let's get that person back in here. So the continuity, I, I would just hope anyone that would become a CASA would be committed to, they ask you to commit for two years, but, um, but but even if it has to go beyond two years because of a, a, a family, I would hope that one would do that. Stick with it, yeah. Yeah, until that case was closed. Because once they're once they're either reunified or in, um, adopted, then the case I've had has they've been closed. You don't see those kids again. Is that hard for you with most kids, like working with them for so long and then not being able to see them and see how they're doing? Well. I've only been a CASA four years now, so it's, um, I do miss them, but uh, like I said, with my little guy, it's like, I know they care about me, I really care about them, but 
since it's only been a couple or so years, I feel like a lot happened in that time in their little young lives. And I'm sort of part of what happened. And even though I'm a positive part, I just think sometimes when they think, when they see me, like with him, when he just looked like, oh, no, it's you. Oh, you know, and mm -hmm. not mommy. After years of calling me mommy, then all of a sudden he's looking like, no, I've got this great new mommy. They love me. You can go now. <laughs> How are you doing this with your travels? Because it sounds like you're gone a lot of months of the year. So how is this something you're able to fit in? Because you said monthly visits or something more often. So how are you fitting that all in? Well, on the month, um, if I'm gone for a whole month, well, then the guardian at Lightum will go and visit the kids that month. And um, when you visit, you do write up notes. And, so, and, and then she and I talk. And so she, you know, looks at my notes and then she submits notes after she's gone out to visit. And I try to do a visit right before I leave, like within two days of leaving. So if, you know, if I can make it where it isn't even a whole month, if I'm just going to be gone like three and a half weeks, then I'll go that day before I leave, a couple days after I get back. But the guardian at Lightum is the person that, that basically, that I report to. She's, you know, the ultimate advocate for the child so they would they would go out and visit sometimes I had her go out and visit with me anyway because of just some when there's a major concern that I have mm -hmm. okay and this is completely volunteer work this isn't a paid position no no it's volunteer is it always across the country as a, a casa yeah okay. well to my knowledge okay. I don't know I I haven't met a casa in another state but uh -huh. uh, here to my knowledge it's it's always volunteer huh it just seems like it would be something that's a paid position well it's and it's just you know it is part-time they they say maybe like six hours a month because you're going to go visit the kids um and then um there's court you know there might be court maybe once a month and when you go down to court that can be rather lengthy, um, just mainly because of waiting and it not necessarily happening at the time that that you're told to be at court. But um, no, it's volunteer. It's it's very gratifying. I mm -hmm. oh, I bet so much. I'm looking forward to my new family now since my case closed a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm real excited to meet a new family. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to request another really young child or. Um, or maybe some bigger kids that you can communicate better with. But when I think about all those those months that I would go out there and look up and just be so thrilled, like, Mommy, it's like, I think I want to go through that again, maybe. <laughs> that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, I just love hearing about this work. It's such a different side. I, I didn't actually know that this position existed. So um, I thought that was more of the like social worker type side of things. So it's really cool to hear about this. Yeah, the CASAs, every month there's a new training group, and in the CASA newsletter they have a picture of them, and, and I know in my training group, they're all ages. There were girls that were in college and wanted to do it for volunteer for two years to look good on their resumes when they started job hunting, and there I remember there was a lady, she was a lawyer, and she just thought she wanted to do something on the other side of law and was volunteering as a CASA. There were men, a lot of men, some retired women and men. Um, just all kinds of people are CASAs. It's just, you know, it's not like just like people like me that were special ed teachers or counselors. It's all kinds of people in all kinds of professions. And they just want to 
have this relationship with this kid and go and be the voice for this kid and fight for this kid and the kid's rights. Well, and what a great opportunity to get in in the foster care system and help out in that system if that's something you're passionate but don't have the means to foster a child too. Right, right. Oh yeah, that would really be great if you were thinking about fostering or if you had ever fostered and that was just, you know, too much to undertake. But um, there's just so many kinds of people who I think really, really would be so gratified in becoming a CASA. Yeah. Oh, what? what? That's so cool. I had no idea that you did that. Yep. That's my, my big pastime when I'm, um, when I'm home. <laughs> okay. So yesterday you posted, I loved your post about loving your body because oh. it's done so much for you. That positivity was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this one uh, of the uh, Instagrammers had this challenge of wearing a swimsuit every day for 10 minutes just to, you know, just, you know how you feel when you have on a swimsuit. It's just a freeing kind of feeling. And I thought, oh, what the heck? I think I'll do it. And so when I, I did put on swimsuit and everything, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll post about it. Maybe somebody else will get some kind of joy out of it and put on a swimsuit while they vacuum or something today and, yeah. and just be uplifted by it. And I got so many DMs. I could, <laughs> I could not <laughs> believe it. So many people who uh, really thought it was just such a fun kind of thing to do. And it really was. It really was. Because I do, I, but I do love my body. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's like I always say, like, I don't, my arms are just a big old hot mess, but I love these girls dangling down here because I won't do the Michelle Obama thing. If I want Michelle Obama arms, I've got to be willing to do what Michelle does, and I'm not. So these are nice, healthy arms. They're just not Michelle Obama arms. And, and that's okay. the rest of the body because yeah. I won't do what you've got to do to have that kind of body. So I love it. It's healthy. I, uh, I'm in perfect health. I've never had a health scare. I, uh, I'm in amazing health. So I love this body. Yeah. And it lets, allows you to travel all across the world and see so many different places and do so right. many different things too. Right. And I climb up steps. I mean, I have friends and know people that's like, Oh, I don't want to climb up all those steps. Well, you know, I get to a museum and there's a gazillion steps. I, you know, climb on up the steps and go in the museum. So I love this body. Awesome. I love that message too. It's something we all need to hear. <laughs> Thank you. So what is something else that you've learned about yourself during travels? Well, I've learned that I can do things afraid. That, um, like, as an example, I went to um, Morocco for a second time this past winter. And before I went, I had seen a lot of people, a lot of travelers are going to Morocco now. And it seems like there weren't that many going when we went before. But when we went before, we did stop at this place where you could ride a camel. Well, I wasn't going to ride a camel. And anyhow, on this trip, since I've seen so many pictures of people riding a camel, I just thought, I should ride. I, I can do it. And then every time I would think about it, it's like, oh, what if he runs off into the Sahara? Or what if he, you know, goes crazy and I fall off? And just all this negative self-talk. And, um, and then, I don't know, I just started thinking, like, people ride camels. When have I heard of anybody falling off? So I thought, okay, I've got to overcome it. I really want to do this. And with other things that I'm afraid to do, 
I will actually sort of research to see what's the likelihood of falling off of a camel. (laughs) Yeah, I'll Google it. You know, I will Google and see. And then when it's like when you get no results, it's like, oh, okay, there's there's nothing here. They can't even find any cases to talk about or there'll be one extreme situation. So with that, then I just sort of work on my own mind like, okay, let's just picture this. How do you get on the camel? What can happen? And so you know, finding out, okay, the camel bends down, you step on it. It's not like you climb up on something and swing your leg over. He's way down on the ground and you just step over him. And so once I've gone through that, then it's like, okay, I can do it. So I've just found that things that I'm afraid to do, once I investigate and see what's what really happens, what's the worst thing that could happen, what's the likelihood, and inevitably it's like, oh, I'll just do it. So I rode the camel, had a great time. Where what where did you ride the camel? What country? In the Sahara in Morocco. Oh, awesome. And I bet it was an incredible experience. It was. And I wasn't afraid because once he did bend down, they sort of kneel down, you know, and you just put your foot over the, the saddle. And um, there's a guide who's like pulling along a couple of them. So and he never lets go because this guy had my camera and he could hold both those camels and take a picture, too, at the same time. But, um, you know, it was like nothing was going to happen. So there's just a lot of times it's just there's no reason to be afraid of something. Right. And traveling is so cool, especially alone, because you can learn about yourself so much being in a different place, a different culture and all of that just kind of throws you to learn more about yourself even. Right. Yeah, it really does. I think it, you learn how how much power you have within yourself. You know, because just things that, like I said, things that you might be afraid of or even just thinking like, oh, gosh, um, eating alone every night, eating alone. What's that going to be like? Well, you're alone. You travel, you do it and you see like it's it's just life. It's just living. You just eat. You just do it. Yeah. And then you have the opportunity to meet other people while they're right. alone and everything. Yeah, that's that meeting other people has just been so, so wonderful and traveling alone. I never would have met the number of people that I have met when I traveled with my husband. I I barely met anybody traveling with him. And same thing with my daughter. And um, now, I mean, I meet people from all over the place and stay in touch, you know, with Facebook around now. It's just so great to stay in touch with people. When I um, went, did a trip of the, um, of Great Britain and like 35 of the 30, seven people on the trip were from Australia and it was just so cool to meet all of these Australians and this one girl and uh, she was also traveling alone so sometimes we'd go do things together well we stayed in touch and through Facebook and a couple years later when I went to Australia she had then gotten married and moved to Tasmania and so when I was going to be in Sydney she uh, came up to Australia and met me in Sydney and we spent a couple days together and with her taking me, you know, to real insider kind of places because she had lived in Sydney once. And so it was just so fun to be there in Sydney with a friend from Tasmania and uh, and just hearing all about life in Tasmania and going to, you know, these little known local kind of spots there in Sydney. It was just the best time. Yeah, there's nothing better than having someone that knows the place showing you, yeah. showing you around the location too, the inside scoop. Right. 
All right, Charlotte, we are going to wrap up with the end of the podcast questions. I know you prepared for these, so you're ready. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I saw them. It's like, whoa, these are biggies. <laughs> My answers are so simplistic. I feel like I, I need to be deep and I no, can't think no. deep. I just, I don't know. I thought I'm just off the top of my head. This is sort of what I'm thinking. Which is perfect. That's all we need. Okay. Um, so what is the best or most recent book you've read? The most recent book that was my favorite in recent years was The Rent Collector. I don't know who told me to read it, and it might have been just on an Instagram poster. I said, give me Rex, and somebody suggested it. But the book was so good, I really think it should be a selection in English high school English classes. Um, there's just so much to it in terms of character development in terms of um, learning about another culture, human behavior. It is just such a good book. When I when I got toward the end of it, I didn't want to put it down. And I actually, put, I mean, I didn't want to finish it. Mm -hmm. and uh, But I put it down for even a couple days because I just didn't want to say goodbye to it all. And, uh, and I told my daughter about how I was feeling. And it's like, you've got to read this book. And she read it when I finished with it and zipped right through it. And she was like, oh, my gosh, Mom, this is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It was so good. Have you read it? I have not. I'm going to have to, though. You've got to read it. And let me know what you think after you read it, because it it just really was just such food for thought. And it's so good. The problem with asking this question about favorite book is my book list keeps growing, which, it, which it's always growing too much. Yeah. So then... <laughs> But I will definitely be well, just jump to this, this one. Just jump I to will. this one because you'll oh, read absolutely. it really fast, and um, and it's 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 just it's awesome. It's really awesome. Okay, I'll check it out and I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, who or what is illuminating in your life right now? I guess right now and being confined at home and um, sort of and being um, very spiritually grounded kind of person that I am. I just thought on Sundays, I listen to a number of different church services and including my own church, of course. Um, but I have found that right now, there are a number of pastors that are very illuminating to me. And specifically, a good sermon is illuminating to me. And um, every morning I have my own time with meditation and prayer and all. And every morning I listen to a sermon. Yeah, you've got a morning routine down perfectly, too, to start your day off well. Yeah, yeah, keeps me positive and healthy. <laughs> and then what is one, what is an organization that you would like to illuminate and share about? Well, right now in light of all that's going on, um, with um, in race relations and all, I could really only think of, I mean, I just, not only, but I immediately thought of the NAACP because for over 100 years, it has been here for people of color and so much of what has been accomplished for us, uh, I think it was founded in maybe like 1906 or something, so uh, during the very, very worst of times, and so much of what has been accomplished and rights that have been accomplished for black people have come as a result of the work of the NAACP. It's uh, my mother 
was very, very involved and, and, and it, even as a, a volunteer at the state level when I was a kid and I used to go with her in the summers to the NAACP conventions and, um, and, and so I guess that sort of started my interest then, uh, but then once I became an adult, I didn't really continue at membership too much myself, but here lately we're starting to hear more about them and what they and they're really back in the picture now that the movement is is um, recharging and um, I'm just so glad that they're still around I'm so thankful for all that they've done uh, I'm old enough to have seen huge huge changes in rights for black people and talk about traveling when I was a kid traveling um, you couldn't go into restrooms any place uh, in the south, uh, some places even in the north were, were shaky. Um, restaurants, eating in restaurants, that was out of the question. We, every summer we went to Alabama and we drove from Rockford, Illinois, way up in northern Illinois by Wisconsin, all the way to Alabama, and you never once stopped at a restaurant anywhere. It was just unheard of. So and there were no hotels or if they were hotel it would be uh, some very small little place maybe a room in some black person's house uh, but uh, with rights that have um, come about from the work of NAACP um, our lives are a whole 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 lot different not only travel but employment wise and um, housing wise so 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 many ways so Yes, NAACP needs to be illuminated. Yes, it definitely does. And we have, I love hearing the, the positive change that you've seen. We still have a lot of work to do and a lot of change to make, but it's good to see that reflection too. Oh, yes, yes. We've come such a long way. But a long way to go for sure. Right. And then what is your one message to send to the world? My message? <laughs> to send to the world and it probably sounds sort of corny uh, but I my grandmother was asked one time she was in the hospital and she was like 92 and this nurse uh, asked her what's the secret to just a long happy life and she said um, just remembering that you're blessed to be a blessing and just be a blessing to other people and and I sort of you know I live with that attitude myself that I've got a great life and how can I make somebody's day today? Like even if you saw my post, my story today, this girl had written, I had liked a few of her pictures. And then she had written, um, oh, the traveling black widow liked my pictures. She just made my day. And I saw that and I thought, honey, it's my goal every day to make somebody's day. And this is the easiest make ever to just like some of your pictures. <laughs> So that's, I just, I love, I love, you know, being that person that pays for the person's uh, drink behind me in the Starbucks line. And just, I love to make someone's day. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Charlotte Simpson. Isn't she the best? If you want to continue to follow along with all that Charlotte's doing, you can find her on Instagram at Traveling Black Widow or on Facebook at Traveling Black Widow as well. And if you're enjoying the Illuminate podcast, we would love if you left a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice. Also, you can follow along with the Illuminate podcast over on Instagram at the Illuminate podcast and on Twitter at Illuminate underscore pod. 
Don't forget to give Sandy Boy Productions some love as well, where you can find out about all the podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. And you can find them on Twitter at Sandy Boy Pro and on Instagram at Sandy Boy Productions. As always, thank you for supporting the Illuminate podcast. I hope you enjoyed my episode this week with Charlotte Simpson and pull all of the joy and positivity that she has and bring some of that into your own life.